Isn't it sweet to know that we have a God who is faithful, who we can depend upon, who we can rely on, and who has promised to be sufficient for all our needs. I like that phrase, honey in the rock. Honey in the rock. I think it's Elizabeth Elliot that tells a story about the disciples, and it's fictitious. It's not a gospel story about Jesus talking to the disciples, and he tells them, guys, pick up a rock. We're traveling, but I want you to carry a rock with you. And they began to make their way across the wilderness. And then it became lunchtime, and Jesus said, all right, put your rocks on the ground in front of you. And, uh, and they did. Now, when they picked up their rocks, of course, the guys, there was no description of what, kind, what size or what kind of rocks to pick up. And so some of them had stones and boulders. Peter, of course, being Peter, just picked up a little rock. Easier to manage, easier to carry. And as he's walking through the wilderness, it comes time. They sit down, and Jesus turns their rocks to bread. And so that's their lunch. They, eat, get to, they each get to eat the amount of bread depending upon the size of the rock. And Peter's like, this is it. It's like, Look, they got big ones. They... And Jesus says, all right, guys, we're going on the next part of our journey. Pick up a rock. What do you think Peter did? Got as big a rock as he could, stumbling through the wilderness. And then they came beside the river. And Jesus looks at him and says, all right, now here's what I want you to do with those rocks. I want you to cast them into the river <laughs> and Peter's like he was hoping it was going to be dinner and Jesus and when Peter complained Jesus simply looked at him and said listen the value of the fruit is in who you're carrying the rock for so many times we're so internally focused Jesus you got to do this for me Jesus you got to be faithful to me Jesus you never leave me you never forsake me and that's all true but we need to recognize and understand as Peter came to understand through many experiences the Christian life isn't about us but we can depend upon Christ to be sufficient and to provide for all of our needs. Isn't God good? I love the phrase, honey in the rock. You got anybody here in a rocky place? Anybody here ever been in a rocky place? And yet you see the faithfulness of God, the kindness of God, the sufficiency of God, some of which we'll read about. If you've got your Bibles, your copy of the Scripture, open with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Our whole series this time is about how to make disciples. The, the title of the series is Understanding the Assignment. As Cody read at the beginning of the service this morning, Jesus has given you and I an assignment. The imperative in Matthew chapter 28 is make disciples. As you go, while you're going, participle, Make disciples imperative. How? Participles. By baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. By teaching them to do whatsoever things I have commanded to you. And then, of course, the promise. And lo, I'm with you always. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. And too many times, churches, and certainly personal, individual Christians, we lose our understanding or our focus of what it means to make disciples. And so we're taking several weeks to focus on, through the example of Paul, making disciples of the church at Thessalonica, of what it means and how we are to make a disciple. The title of this sermon is First, Be a Disciple. How about that? Good place to start, right? You can't make a disciple unless you are a disciple. We are to duplicate ourselves. We are to reproduce ourselves. We are to uh, follow the task of the Lord Jesus Christ as we are indwelled by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want us to read, and we're going to look at several passages in 1 Thessalonians this morning, but we're going to start with 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to read probably all the way down through verse 5. 
Paul, Silvanus, also known as Silas, you remember Paul and Silas, and Timothy, the young man that Paul had picked up earlier on this journey and was taking with them. So we've got these believers and, and who are being trained and who are experienced in ministry, who are following after Christ, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. You remember we read about this in Acts chapter 17, how they left Philippi. They came to Thessalonica. They began to preach and teach. First three weeks in the synagogues and the Jews weren't receptive. Some of them believed, but many of the Gentiles did. And matter of fact, they did to the extent that in just a matter of months, just a, a few short weeks, a matter of a few months, they were run out of town from Thessalonica, and they went to Berea. But he says to them, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to settle here on verse 4 and 5 for just a moment. For we know. The word here for know is, is absolute certainty. No doubt. There's something that we know. There's something we have complete confidence in. Something we can, we, we, it, it's, it, we've seen it with our own eyes. For we know, brothers, beloved of God or loved by God, that he has chosen you. That you've been chosen, that you've been saved, that you've been elect, that you have been redeemed, that you're his now. He has chosen you. How do we know? Because our gospel came to you not only in word, it wasn't just us talking, it wasn't a, a camp meeting or a tent meeting where the preacher comes and preaches and there's a lot of good feeling and then the preacher goes on and everybody goes back to life as before. No, the word came, but it came in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full assurance or full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And so for us to make disciples, we had to first be a disciple. And I want us to look this morning at just a few from the text, a few um, characteristics or marks of what it means to be a, a disciple of Christ. And the first is a phrase that I've lifted or taken or, or am sharing with you from Philippians chapter 3. And it is, disciples put no confidence in the flesh. Disciples put no confidence in the flesh. How does one become a disciple? Disciple is someone who is following Jesus, who is being continually transformed by Jesus, who is committed to the mission of Jesus. First of all, comes to Jesus by trusting in Jesus alone. I love that phrase. We know that he has chosen you. Absolute confidence because the gospel came in word and in power in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. So let's walk through these real quick. What does it mean that the gospel came in word? It must be spoken. It must be shared. It is how God communicates. And there's a lot of people saying a lot of things, but there's a genuine gospel. There's a gospel that has been delivered once and for all, and it's a the Lord Jesus Christ, there's salvation in no other name. And it must be shared. It must be spoken. But it came in power. The Greek word is dunamis. And this is more than just coming in, again, as I said, and just sharing a message and moving on. This is God's power, supernatural power on display. There's something, and you guys know this, God can do what no man can do. There are things that only God can do. And bringing a person from death to life. Bringing a, per a person from darkness to light. Bringing a person 
from, from being deceived, all of a sudden having the illumination and understanding and the lights turn on. Bringing a person from being separated from God to now being intimate with God is something only God can do. Amen? Are you, you been there? Can you, can, can, you, can you bear witness to that? Amen? It's good to know that salvation belongs to the Lord. Okay, and I love this next phrase. This in the text. In the Holy Spirit. Paul did not rely on his scholarship. He did not rely on his ability to craft a sermon or his first-class education. He did not rely on his mastery of multiple languages. It was not his outlines, his illustrations, or his sincerity that produced these kind of miraculous results. It was the Holy Spirit. From start to finish, everything about Christianity is supernatural. If there's one thing we know, salvation belongs to the Lord. Amen? See, when I say put no confidence in the flesh, when Paul says put no confidence in the flesh, when God says put no confidence in the flesh, what he is saying is you need a Savior outside of yourself, and there's only one. There's nothing we can do to make us right with God. Isaiah 59, 2, behold, your sins are separated between you and your God. We can't close that gap. Only God can. The good news is that God has. The good news is that he has provided the Messiah. He has provided a Savior. The last phrase here with full conviction is sometimes interpreted full assurance, and it may be that he is referring to their own assurance. You got saved and you know it. And by the way, you guys know that you can know that you're saved, right? You can have absolute, total, complete confidence. I talk to a lot of people who are like, am I saved? Am I not saved? I'm not sure. Here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that you can have absolute confidence and assurance. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. Amen? First John, read the whole book of First John. He wrote the book of First John that you might have confidence in the saving work of Christ in your life. So... It may have been their own assurance, but I think it's talking about Paul. Paul says, I was only there for a few months. I got to know your names. I worked alongside of you. I prayed with you. I spent time with you. We worked around the clock. We had shared activities. I shared my life with you. You shared your life with me. And I left, and all of a sudden, those people that persecuted me, they called for my blood. You know that, right? We were staying in Jason's house. They grabbed Jason. We weren't there, and they took him before the authorities, and they said, here's one of those guys hanging out with those guys who had turned the world upside down. we got to get rid of these guys, and they told us that we had to leave, and we left. We basically snuck out of the city and went to the next city, and as soon as we got to Berea, we were preaching and teaching there, and some of those Thessalonians came down and accused us, and we had to leave again. And if they persecuted me, I know that they're giving you a hard time. They know Jason. They know where he lives. They know who Jason hangs out with. They know you. They hate you. And I know they're giving you a hard time. And Paul, writing this letter to them, he says, you'll see it. He says, and I've been so concerned. I've been so concerned. And so I sent Timothy back to find out what was going on. And Lord and mercy, what a blessing. I know you've been saved because in the face of suffering and in the face of persecution and in the face of an absence of mature spiritual leadership, you have the Holy Spirit, your lives have been transformed, and you are imitating us, and we're seeing the gospel fret. You know what he says? He says, I see 
the change in your life. You used to worship idols. Remember chapter 1, the end of the chapter? You used to worship idols. Now you're worshiping the one true God. Used to be different. Used to be all over the place. Now you're being faithful to God and lives are being changed. He knew. How did they know? In the same way that a person becomes a disciple by trusting in Christ alone, a person lives by trusting in Christ alone, not by his own ability. And so for you guys who are believers here, first thing I want you to know is you need to have confidence that you're following after Christ. That he's changed you, that he's made you new, and you can know. You can know. As a matter of fact, if you are unsure, the place to start is by asking him. Am I yours? Do I belong to you? Search my heart. Try me. See me. Examine me. I want confidence. And you pray, and one of two things will happen. He will convict that you need to come to him and surrender in faith. Or he will assure you, you're mine. I bought you. You've been bought with a price. You're not your own. And so you can have confidence, but then a lot of times we get saved by faith and we try to live in the power of the flesh. No confidence in the, in, in the flesh, no, no confidence in our own power for salvation, but no confidence in our own power for being able to live like he calls us to live. So how's the Christian life going? Pretty good. You guys know I'm married to Suzanne. She's a wonderful woman. We've been married a long time. We got married on July the 5th, 1985. You want to know how long ago that is? Do the math. When we got married, I was the perfect husband. Not a single amen, a lot of laughter out there. (laughs) My status had changed. I was no longer single. My relationships had changed. My boundaries had changed. Do you understand what I'm saying when I say that? I was surrendered to her, committed to her. She's fully mine. I'm fully hers. And so everything becomes different. But I have to tell you, I knew less then than I know now, and I don't know much now about what it means to be the kind of husband that she needs, that God's called us to be, to be faithful in being a husband but as we live life, here's what she did not do. And here's, a, I think, a pretty good picture when we talk about making disciples. A lot of times a person will come to a church. They'll hear the gospel message. The Holy Spirit will work upon their heart. And they'll get saved. They'll come to God in repentance and faith, maybe in the service, maybe outside the service, maybe at home later or someplace. And then they come and they report to us. And what do we do? We get excited. We celebrate. And then we give them a manual. Suzanne did not say, I do, I do, you may kiss the bride, and hand me a manual. Marty, here's your manual for what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Now, I have to tell you, that's kind of silly, but there are times when I really wish I had one. But as I lived with her and spent time with her and talked with her, as I did things that were pleasing and as I did things that were not, as I began to recognize the role, all of a sudden I began to change. A simple illustration is in Suzanne's family, they celebrate birthdays. Do y'all celebrate birthdays? In Suzanne's family, they celebrate birthdays. In my family, you could have a birthday up until you were 12. After that, you get a card and a, and a best wishes. And that's it. That's it. As a matter of fact, my mom just affirmed that to me the other day. (laughs) Okay. 
Well, Susan, our first, Susan's first birthday came around after we were newlyweds. And I got her a card. What was she expecting? Let's just say it was more than a card. And all of a sudden, I began to learn what pleases and what does not please. What do I need to do? What is my role here? How do I come along? Do you understand what I'm saying? The process of becoming a disciple is, is a process of learning. It's a process of growing. When you get saved, that is the beginning of what comes next. And the same way that we get saved by faith, we live by faith. Paul illustrates this. Picking up in chapter five, the second part, no, chapter one, the second part of verse one, he says, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit. He says, you saw us. You saw how we were living, how we were living as disciples. You became like us, trusting in Christ. You received the word, and we'll get to how they received the word in just a moment, but you received it in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And so the point one is, first of all, if you've never been transformed, if you've never been changed, you've never been saved. Salvation is marked by genuine uh, uh, transformation, but also it is marked by a new way of living that you learn as you submit yourself to Christ. The same way that you're saved, you walk with Christ. Paul learned this. He learned this so significantly. He learned it from his call of putting no confidence in the flesh and trusting in Christ alone for salvation but he learned it in many recorded instances in the letters that he wrote to the churches when he talks about his interaction with God, not putting confidence in his own flesh. We can't trust ourselves. Who can we trust? By the way, well, if we can't trust myself to be able to live in my own flesh, obedient to God, doing those things that please God, but I have to learn somehow, how can I live now that I've become a disciple? The second thing besides not putting confidence in the flesh, is relying on Jesus alone. Relying on Jesus alone for life. Back up in verse 3 of chapter 1, he says, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. What's the basis of that? The hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We see the transformation in that taken place in them in verse 8. Not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Look what they did. How do we get there? How do we get there? In chapter 2, we see a good bit more, but I just want to focus on Paul because they are emulating Paul. He says, you became emulators of us as we, as we imitated the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul recognized that having been saved, his life was no longer his own, that he was bought with a price. And in Colossians chapter 1, by the way, this is a, a great passage to learn. Paul describes his ministry and he says, To them, to the Gentiles, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. 
Listen to me, disciples, because I'm afraid that in many cases we come to Christ convicted of our sin and we love him and we want to be faithful to him. And it's a wonderful time. And then all of a sudden, either because we're not fed or because we're not nurtured or somehow, yes, we've been saved, but we are not progressing. We're not walking. You guys know the old song, Every Day with Jesus is Sweeter Than the Day Before. Do you know it? Shall I sing it? <laughs> I love that. Half of the congregation is saying, please don't. <laughs> A few of you are tone deaf like me and say, sure. But let, let, let me just give you, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus, I love him more and more. Jesus saves and keeps me. Yes, he's the one I'm living for. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. And some of us cannot sing that song. There was a time when every day with Jesus was sweet. And I woke up with at least a desire to, 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 to read the scripture, to spend time with him in prayer. I, I sensed his intimacy and his closeness, but it just seems to be gone. And the Christian life has become like that marriage rule book. Here, here are the seven things you need to do today. Do this and check it off and then do this and check it off and then do this and check it off. And all of a sudden the Christian life becomes just a, a list of things that we do and we don't do. And that is not Christianity. The first thing that a Christian does is says, I can't get to God. And so we put our trust in Christ and he's the one that saves us. And then we say, I've put my trust in Christ. What do I do now? And we look to Christ, and he's the one who teaches us and enables us. Years ago, I heard this illustration where a preacher was preaching, and he said, I got three kids, two boys and a little girl. And it was getting close to Christmas time. And the boys were talking about something they wanted to get for me, and I was excited about it because they asked what I wanted, and I told them. And then my little girl came up, and she was just a-weeping. She was crying. And I said, what's the matter, hon? And she said, well, I want to get you something for Christmas, too. She said, I don't have any money. I don't know what you want. And he said, I thought about it. And I said, well, here's something I want. And it was something that he wanted. This is something I want. And here, here's the money. So you take the resources I provide, and you get the thing that pleases me. And she was not distressed, and she did not feel like that was wrong. She took the money graciously because Dad provides. She had clarity over what to do because he told her exactly what she was supposed to do. She went and she did it, and she gave him the gift on Christmas that he asked for with the resources that he provided. And he was pleased, and she was thrilled. Can I tell you something amazing about the Christian life? Our Father says, do that which pleases me. Here's what pleases me. And you say, I can't. And he's right. He says, you're right. You never, I never said you could. But I can, and I always said I would. And so you put your trust in me, and I'll provide what you need. And we then say, all right, I can't, but you can. I'm going to do this by faith. And you know what happens? His supernatural provision comes, and all of a sudden, you can do things that you could not do. Why? Because it's Christ in you. Do you understand what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, there's conviction of sin. I did something I should not do. What, what do I do now? What do you do now? Well, you confess. 
I'm going to tell you the Father says that this is sin and this is wrong. And the Holy Spirit will not let you rest on that and just ignore it. And you come to him in repentance. And you agree. You admit, I, I agree. This is sin. This is wrong. And I confess and I ask you to forgive me. And he forgives and he washes and he cleanses. And that fellowship is restored. And every day with Jesus becomes sweeter and sweeter. It becomes a process of growing, of learning, of being continually transformed. Do you want that? Not really. Do you want that? Because here's what it's going to take to do. How do we get to that point? How do we get to where we reflect the character of Christ? It's what Paul describes for them. As a matter of fact, if you'll turn over to chapter 2, there's a couple of verses that I want to point your attention to. In chapter 2, verse 13, Paul is saying, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, when it's just talking, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. How do we know that? For you became imitators of the churches of God in Jesus Christ that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. Here's the point. He is saying you can do, you are doing things that you could not do before you got saved that give glory and honor to God. You're walking not without confidence in the flesh but fully relying on Christ. And you get there by allowing the word of God to work in you. Life as a disciple is relying fully on Christ to instruct and to provide and to live his life in you. There's a man named Captain Reginald Wallace. He wrote a book called The New Life, which is great, by the way. It was written, published, I think, in about 1930. But he talks, it's about talks with Christians on living victorious, practical Christian living. Listen to what he said. He said, the greatest day of my Christian life was the day that I discovered I could not live it. Sounds a little weird, doesn't it? But the greatest day of my Christian life was the day that I discovered no confidence in the flesh, that I could not live it, and that God did not intend me to. Then and then alone was I willing to invite the Lord Jesus to live his life in me. And how did I get to that point? By allowing the word of God to work in you. At high expectations. You guys good with high expectations? High expectations. Here's one. Be perfect. How about be holy, God says, as I am holy. Is that just God saying, all right, here's your mark. Aim for it. I know you're not going to hit it, but do the best you can. Is that what's going on there? See, I don't believe it is. I believe God's saying, here's the standard of perfection, holiness. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ who lived without sin. And God made him who knew no sin to become sin in order that we might become the righteousness of Christ in him. So positionally, you're placed in Christ and he's perfect. But there's more than that. The Spirit of God, the life of Christ, has been placed in you. And the life which you now live, you no longer live by flesh, but by faith. Faith in the Son of God who loved me 
and gave himself for me. Isn't that great? When you come to Christ, you're crucified with Christ. How do you live the same way that you come? No confidence in the flesh, full reliance on Christ day by day. So how does the Word of God work in us? How does the Word of God conform us to the image of His Son? How does the Word of God allow Christ to live His life in us? Again, in verse 13 of chapter 2, he says, We thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. He spoke it and wrote it and preserved it for us. They heard it. They received it. We got to get into the word of God. And as they heard, God acted on their minds and hearts. He turned the lights on. When you received the word of God, what you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. He opened them. He gave illumination and understanding that they previously didn't have. I have a friend, and I, and, and I haven't seen him in, in years, honestly. He was a friend of mine when I pastored the deaf church in Greenville, and he was a very interesting guy. As a deaf man, signing English, he could quote and fingerspell chapters and chapters and chapters that he had memorized, memorized in Scripture. He was famous for it. He was known for his ability to, to quote all these passages of Scripture in good sign language, just word perfect. And he was one of the meanest men. You guys ever known anybody like that? See, you can know a lot about technically the Scriptures and the Word of God and not know the God of the Word. But when the Holy Spirit gives you illumination and He saves you and He calls you and you come to Him and say, open my eyes. Teach me. And you begin to read. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit starts to turn the light on. And supernatural, again, it's, it's a work of the Spirit of God. Illumination and understanding. A mystery before, now revealed, held in your hands. God's word, God's truth that they received. We know that because Paul thanked God that they received it as the word of God. Why would he thank God? Because God was the one who had revealed it to him. If you've welcomed the gospel as God's word and believed, that's how it happened to you. God opened your eyes. He inclined your heart. You saw in the words, human words, the word of God. And so I want to close this service. We're talking about what comes next. Relying on Jesus alone. How do we do this? How do we do this? How do we follow in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ? How do we follow and fellowship with Jesus. The mark of a disciple is one who is with, with Christ. But more than that, it is the one who is sharing life with, dependent in his life, Christ with us. So let's see if I can illustrate this. Uh, what is the command that God tells me to do that I can't do? Or what is the sin that I've struggled with that now I've come to Christ and he's revealed to me that it's sin? And I'm not to have confidence in the flesh. Uh, what's a good example? Let's just start with covetousness. Anybody here need some money? How about greed? Would anybody like something you don't have? Don't lie. Maybe we should do lying. You know, we can start there. Let, let's go with covetousness. Let, greed. Let, let, let's go with greed. 
And it may be that you were a material girl living in a material world. Sorry. It, it may be that, that you're kind of consumed. You guys know where we are, right? We're downtown Greenville, South Carolina. This is a great place to be. We got great restaurants. We got great stores. We got all kind of stuff. And it's easy to look around and say, there's some affluence here. I'd like some of that. Or to say, I have some affluence here. I want some more of that. And there's always this kind of grasping. And it may have been your sin, your major sin before you came to Christ, the personality, the thing that you were raised with. Or it may be even after coming to Christ, you look around and say, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Lord, I'd like a few. And all of a sudden, there's this temptation to covet. There's this temptation to greed. There's this temptation to want and to want more. And you recognize it because it becomes something that your mind dwells on. You guys do that? Facebook helps. They'll send you ads over whatever you talk about when they're, they're listening. If you go to a website, even your own phone and your computer will say, hey, look, y'all are thinking about this. Here, here's an opportunity. Here's an opportunity. Here's an opportunity. The temptation comes. And so we have a temptation, let's say, to covetousness or greed, and you say, I, this stays on my mind. It's interfering with my walk. It's become a preoccupation. And, Father, I don't want to yield to this temptation. And so what's the first thing I do? The first thing I do is I say, well, I can't. Stop thinking about it. I can't stop being tempted, tempted with it. I admit that I can't do myself what needs to be done. So what's the second thing I do? I pray and I say, God, I can't. But you never said I could. You can and you always said you would. I need your help. Would you please conquer my covetousness? Would you please take away this craving or this hunger? Will you please, this is robbing my joy, my contentment, my trust in, in you and your sufficiency alone. Will you please take that away from me? And then you trust. You trust in the word of God. Maybe you have read a promise like Hebrews chapter 13 verses 5 and 6 where it says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? And you say, Lord, there's your promise. And I trust it. And then you act. You turn away from the idol. As you turn away from the coveted idol, you thank him. And you say, thank you, Lord. I admit. I, I pray. I trust in his word and let it work in me. And all of a sudden, you'll find God's doing things in you and through you that you could never do apart from him. Does that make sense? Living by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A disciple is one who follows and fellowships with Christ. And so here's what happens. As you are continually saying, Lord, what's between us? Let's move it. Lord, what would you have me do? Lord, today may just be a day of rest and celebration in the goodness of God. Lord, today there may be a particular sin that you're refining oh from my life there may be an attitude that you're changing but it is communion and fellowship as you live day by day with Jesus Christ you with me you can't be transformed by the word of God if you don't know the word of God so dear friends 
you will very seldom find either the command or the example of prayer that's not accompanied by Scripture and the Word of God throughout the Bible. And so we live communicating, speaking and listening, and reading and studying and asking God to bring us understanding. And we walk in obedience by faith. Now, here's the whole point. You don't do that alone. You do that with somebody else. I'm not much of a husband, but you know how I got to be the kind of husband I am? I got a very patient wife <laughs> who loves me and who will say, this is good and this isn't good. You know, you, you, don't, you don't get transformed in a vacuum. Paul was with Silas. Paul brought along Timothy. They made an impact on all the Christians at Thessalonica who were spreading throughout all the reasons. There's region. There is always the component of making a disciple of someone else. And that's where we're going next week. As a matter of fact, I want to give you a warning. We're going to talk about practical steps to invest your life in someone else. And one of those is serving together. You do things side by side. And we're going to give you guys an opportunity to identify places that you can serve with other believers on the journey with you side by side in the context of this congregation. Isn't God good? All right, let's just pray. Let's make sure that we're putting our trust in Christ alone, not only for salvation, but for living. Father, thank you for the time that we have together. This look at your word seems to me brief. I pray that you will remind us that we put no confidence in the flesh, either for salvation or how to live day by day. We trust in you, that the life we're to live now, we live by faith. And if I'm a disciple, it's not just me getting my name on a list or me even having my name just written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It is me walking with you and following after you and depending upon you and living day by day so that every day with Jesus becomes a deeper, more intimate, closer relationship with you. I pray, Father, that if there are people here who aren't there, that you will convict, that you will draw, that you will equip us and teach us how to grow in our fellowship with you, how to grow in our following and obedience of you. You love us. You call it. You tell the disciples, you're no longer servants. You're friends. Father, may we be your friend as we follow after you. In your name I pray. Amen.